It's good to see you here this morning. We're continuing to talk uh, about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And kind of the context to give you if it's your first time here, uh, we're in a sermon series. We're calling it Follow. And uh, the whole premise here is that there's a distinct difference in, be- in believing in Jesus and actually following Jesus. You can believe in something uh, without following it. And I think that something that we see and experience oftentimes in our culture and in today's world is we have a lot of people who believe in Jesus, but fewer of those people are actually following Jesus. And what we mean by that is we we believe that that God has given us his word. He sent Jesus Christ uh, to come on this earth who lived as an example for us and died so that we could have true life. And he's given us life. And you hear his invitation to follow him. As a matter of fact, when you look at Jesus' life, and you hear his invitation over and over to people, he doesn't look and say, believe me. He looks at people and says, follow me. And following has a lot more to it than simply believing. And so that's what we're looking at. What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? And one of the things I think about often as, um, and I'm going to say it this way, not because I'm good at it, but because it's how people view me. As a professional follower of Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? When people find out you're a pastor, they kind of expect some different things from you or whatever. I often think about the impression that I leave on other people. And I often wish I was better. I'll just say that. You know, if you ever think about that, that when, when, when people are around you or when people interact with you, do you ever wonder that when they leave, were they glad that they were around you? Or were they like, whew, I'm glad that's over. You know what I mean? Because I'll just be honest with you. I know that there are times in my life I'm a pretty intense person at times. And sometimes I get a little worked up about things. And I know there have been times in my life, and it probably happens more often than I wish it did, that sometimes people walk away and go, whew, I'm, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> I was around that person. And I wish I did better. But I wanted to say that to, to ask you this question, a question like that. Sometimes people... How will you make your mark? Now, I think when we ask a question like that, sometimes people think, well, you know, what will I invest in in my life and what will people remember me by? And yeah, yeah, okay, that's one thing. But I'm talking about today. When you leave this place, maybe some of you will go out to lunch. You know, what kind of mark are you going to make on the person serving you, on the people there at the restaurant? You do realize, by the way, that they, in, in the in the service world there, waiters and waitresses, that Christians kind of leave a bad mark at times. I don't know if you knew that, if you're aware of that. I used to be a waiter. I used to wait tables while I was doing ministry. I would tell people I'm a minister, that I've got two small children that I'm trying to raise, and I'm doing this part-time, and I'm in college, and I'm also working, and they would leave me a Bible verse on on a napkin. And I'd go, I'm just going to go home and give that to my kids. Here, kids, here's what's for dinner. Bible verse, so tip good if you go out today, all right? But you ever think about what kind of mark, what kind of impression you leave on other people? And I'm not just talking about for your lifetime. I'm talking about on a daily basis. When people interact with you, when they walk away from you, are they like, I'm so glad that I was around that person. Man, that helped me out. Now, we're not all perfect at that all the time. I get it. We all have good days and bad days. But, man, that's my goal. I want to leave a mark on people. I want that when they've come around me that they feel like, well, that was a good thing to be around this person. And I want them to feel invited and back for more. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Acts chapter 20. We at First Baptist Church, we've been working our way through the book of Acts this year. And we've come to this place today, Acts chapter 20. 
And it's talking about a man named Paul and the things that he's done and the journeys he's been on and he's getting ready to leave. And what I want you to look at today, I think the, I think the message here is he's speaking to people, um, gives us some great instructions. But I want you to kind of step back from it a little bit and just think about that question. What kind of a mark did Paul leave on the place that he had spent time today when you look at this. So Acts chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 13. You're welcome to read along in your Bible, or if not, we have the verses up here on the screen so you can follow along with us as well. It says this, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Azus, which, was, which we were going to take Paul on board, because these were his instructions since he himself was going by land. When he met us at Azus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios. The following day we crossed over to Samos, the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time for the day of Pentecost. And we'll pause here. He was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. And we'll pause here for a little bit. I'll catch you up. Paul had been to Jerusalem, and he had shared with what was known as the Jerusalem Council all the things that were happening in the church they had given him some instructions about how those who were coming to Christ were to follow Christ. That not everybody had to follow the Jewish customs, but if that you were a Gentile, that you didn't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. And so Paul was out sharing this in all of these towns. But before he left Jerusalem, they said, don't only, not only share this good news, but also don't forget the poor. And so everywhere that Paul had been, he was also taking up a collection that he wanted to bring back to the people in Jerusalem for the poor. And this is why Paul was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. He wanted to bring that offering, if possible, before the day of Pentecost. So it says, then, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Now be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not despairing the flock, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. 
I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. And there were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him and grieving most of all over his statement that he would never that they would never see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. Now that's a person that's left a mark, right? That's a person that's invested themselves and and if he's someone that's leaving and they're grieved over the fact that he's leaving and there's tears and there's weeping, but yet at the same time there's joy and there's partnership, that's the kind of mark you want to leave on people's lives. And there's a big picture here before we dig into something a little bit that I want you to see. It's all over the book of Acts. It's all over this passage. If you've heard me preach before, it's probably come up before. But I think it's just a great reminder as we look at this this morning. And it's this. God has given me to others and others to me. You need to remember this. God has given me to others and others to me. And this is a great picture of what we see with Paul. Paul realized that God sent him to this place because God had given Paul to these people to serve them, to pour himself out to them, to love on them, to teach them, to disciple them, to encourage them. That's why he was there. But in doing so, he to others and others to me. We're not meant to go. And so we need to remember that, that God has given me to others and others to me. We're not meant to go through this life by ourselves. And so God gives us to one another. You, you may hear people talk often about, you know, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's great that you as an individual know Christ, but your faith is not meant to be personal. It's meant to be lived out. God has given you to other people and other people to you, and that's how we live our faith. The fact that you know him personally is awesome because that's what it's required uh, to, to know Jesus Christ and make a personal profession. But we live out our faith amongst other people, even when it's hard, right? I mean, because that's, that's honestly where it gets difficult. How many people have said it? It'd be easy to be a Christian if nobody else were on this planet but me and God, right? But that's not how it works. God has given you to others and others to you. And so we want to look this morning about this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. Not just believe in Jesus, but follow Jesus. And here's what we want to do. I want to look at Paul. I want us to look at what it means to follow Jesus. Paul followed Jesus. And let me say it this way. We can learn how to follow Jesus by learning from the example that we see in other people. Now, let's be careful. Not that everyone is perfect. We're not. But each of us who is trying to follow Jesus does have something that we can give to one another because God has given me to other people, given others to us. Was Paul a perfect person? No, he's a murderer of Christians before he became a follower of Jesus Christ. But yet God used him and gave him to others so that they could be brought to the faith. There is none of us that are perfect, none of us that deserve this, but we can learn from one another. And so I want us to learn from Paul this morning what it looks like to follow Jesus like Paul followed Jesus. And so the first thing we look at is this, hold nothing back. You want to follow Jesus like Paul followed Jesus, hold nothing back. This is what he says in here. I've, I, from day one, I have held nothing back from you. Paul was passionate and Paul was transparent. Paul just laid it all out there for other people to know. He gave his all to God and to everyone that he met. He held 
nothing back. Now, I want you to hear this. My goal today in sharing how we follow Jesus like Paul followed Jesus, I want you to listen to this very carefully. It's not to give you a list of check marks of things that you're supposed to do. Here's something that I've observed. I have seen people, and I'm going to say this, people who believe in Jesus, who are trying to follow Jesus. Sometimes I encounter some of these people, encounter some of these people. They're not here today. All right? Sometimes I encounter some of these people, and they have no joy. You ever run across people who say they believe in Jesus, but they have no joy? It just seems like the life has been sucked out of them, that they're mad at everybody else about what everybody else is either doing or not doing. They're concerned with everything else except the state of their own heart. They're pointing other things. It's just, it's hard for them. there's, There's no joy. And so I think we see some clues here of what it's, what it's like to have joy in following Christ. Because there are plenty of things in this world that are going to punch us in the gut along the way. And they're going to try to steal our joy. And when you look at someone like Paul and you go, how in the world did he go through all these things? He held nothing back. And yet it seemed like he was kind of happy about it all the time. Even in the midst of trials and, and temptations and, and just struggles with his life and all this type of stuff. There was something that drove Paul in the midst of all these things, and yet why, he had, he wasn't angry, he wasn't pointing the finger at other people, he wasn't saying, why aren't you coming along with me, or why, he had joy. And the reason is because he held nothing back. He gave his all to God and to everyone that he met. And listen to me, here's the key to this. Paul did not pick and choose how to follow Jesus. Sometimes we say we believe in Jesus. And I believe in this part of Jesus, and I believe in this part of Jesus, and I believe in this part of Christianity. Ooh, that part's too hard. Oh, I don't like that part. So I'm just going to take this much of it, and I'm going to try to follow this much of Jesus. But this other part, Paul held nothing back. When he was told to go, he went. When he was told to speak, he spoke. It didn't matter what he faced, he held nothing back. He did what his faith required of him fully. And often, let's just be honest, because I've been here before, often we struggle in living out our faith like God tells us to live out our faith. We want to change the rules of the faith to fit our dialogue. And then we expect to have joy and fullness. It doesn't work that way. Paul gave himself fully to what God had called him to do. You, you will never experience joy in your faith if you're not fully given to what God has called you to do. If you only pick and choose, it doesn't work. And I'm going to go ahead and say it this morning because you got steel-toed shoes on this morning, right? So we're good. Actually, when we pick and choose our faith and we don't fully give ourselves to God, it's called sin. It's not called anything else. It's called sin. And you can't be joyful and experience the fullness of God and yet live a life of sin. Of just saying, God, I'm only going to do half of what you tell me to do or part of what, I, what you tell me to do. It, it doesn't work that way. And, and to me, this is a great example that we see in Paul of how to not hold back. He held nothing back. But we tend to sometimes think that, well, that part doesn't really rely to me. Or God didn't really know that this was going to happen in my life when he wrote that. So I get to behave differently because this happened. Or I get to do things differently. L- let me give some examples. Okay, because when you start picking and choosing how you're going to live it out instead of giving God the whole thing, it's a surefire way to lose your joy. It's a surefire way to lose the joy in your faith. Because then faith just becomes legalistic. It's a a set of rules that I have to follow, and you're trying to fit this pattern. And not only are you trying to fit it, you're trying to make sure everybody else fits your pattern. You ever met that person? They're a joy to be around, aren't they? 
No, they're not. Because they're trying to make everything fit into something that instead of just giving their all. And so let's put it this way. Let me give you some illustrations. Let's say maybe you're the type of person that says, well, I know that God, you know, you said that we're supposed to forgive each other. As a matter of fact, when you were asked about it, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? You know, if they said seven times, you said no, 70 times seven, which really you're just trying to tell us we should just forgive and forgive others. And, and, and here's what maybe sometimes it looks like. Well, God, I believe in you, so I'm going to forgive other people except that one. There you go, picking and choosing. See what I mean? And then you wonder why my faith has no joy and I have no power in my Christianity because well, I'm going to forgive everybody except this one because, God, that really doesn't fit in your rules over here. We're just going to have this part of it left out. How about that? Want me to meddle some more? Amen. All right, let's do this. How about this? Well, God, I know you said that we're supposed to bring our tithe uh-oh, to the church first, and we give it, and it's a reminder of, of that you're the person who supplies all of our needs. But, you know, God, I don't know if that works. How about, and listen to this, it's not like this I don't want to give. It's these people who go, well, how about I just buy some chairs for the church? Or I just do something different for them. I'm not going to give to the church, but if they need something, they can call. Oh, I'll sponsor that kid for that. I'll be generous to my neighbor. I'll buy them nice things. You're picking and choosing. And you wonder why there's no joy in your heart. You wonder why there's no fulfillment in faith. Paul just didn't hold anything back. God, you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. How many times did Paul even say, I don't even know this makes sense, but I'm feeling compelled by the Spirit that this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do this. If we're going to learn to follow God like Paul followed God, you have to hold nothing back. When we choose to live out our faith on our terms instead of on God's terms, we cannot expect our faith to work like God has promised. It doesn't work. So hold nothing back. Trust Jesus with everything. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we see is this. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. This is what drove Paul and the early church for everything that they did. Everything that Paul did. Everywhere Paul was going, he was sharing the gospel. That's what drove. That's the reason he was there. It wasn't just to visit friends or to hang out with He was motivated to go and share the gospel everywhere he went. It drove everything for Paul. It should drive everything for us. Now, I know that some of us at times go, I, sh- I don't know what to share. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Can I just tell you something? You will grow in your faith and you will experience the most from your faith when you are trying to share it with those around you. And you're going, but I don't know what to share. If, if you don't know what to share, write down John chapter 9 on your outline and go read it when you get home. John chapter 9. John chapter 9 tells the story of a man who was blind at birth that Jesus healed. And after he was healed by Jesus, he was brought before the religious leaders. And when he was brought before the religious leaders, he was interviewed over and over and over about how in the world were you blind and now you see? And who is this Jesus that did this to you? And he finally just gets to the point that after all this investigation, he just looks at the people and he says, look, all this stuff you're asking me about Jesus, I don't know. This is what I know. I was blind and now I see. That's all it takes to share your story. Go talk to someone else and say, I used to, fill in the blank, and now I because of Jesus, and then let the conversation begin. And let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. 
And you know what's going to happen? You're going to look at them and go, I don't know. And then you know what's going to happen? You're going to go home and go, I don't know the answer to that question. And lo and behold, you've grown in your faith. That's how it happens. You don't get all prepared and then go out. You're not going to know enough to, to go. It's like saving enough money to get married. Doesn't happen, does it? Okay? That's why some of you are single. That's how, just give it up. You're not going to save that much money. Just, you know, go ahead and pop the And I'm just kidding. All right. So that's what it is. You share your faith, and then that's how you grow. And this is what was motivating Paul. He went out, he went out to places, gone. I don't even know where I'm going here. Just the Spirit told me to go over here. And then he just starts sharing, and then bam. Things starts happening. So if we're with other people, as simple as I was, this followed Jesus, we're going to hold nothing back. We're going to share the gospel with other people. As simple as I was this and now I'm this because of Jesus. And then the next one is this, and it sounds kind of spiritual if you haven't been to church, but it's, it's, it's obey the Spirit. Obey the Spirit. You see, we see in this, in this passage, verse 22, Paul writes these words, And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit. Not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Let me just tell you something. The Spirit of God will lead you to the full life. But the reason some of us don't experience the full life is because we're trying to find the exit to the comfortable life instead. And sometimes the full life and the comfortable life don't, don't go together. And, and as long as we're pursuing comfort instead of pursuing the fullness of God, sometimes we miss out on the fullness of what God has for us. Now, at our church, we have been, I told you, we've been going through the book of Acts this year. And we started the year actually in chapter 4, and then we came back and did the whole thing. Because I wanted to share in Acts 4.31... That when the people of the church had gathered together and prayed, that God just shook the place that they were in. And so we have been inviting everyone at our church to set an alarm at 431 every day. Some of the super saints of our church do that twice. I am only aware of 1431 a day. I just let you know that. But we invite them to pray with us and we pray that God would fill us with the spirit and help us speak the word of God boldly. Because that's what they were praying in Acts 431. So if you're sitting here wondering, you keep talking about this filled with the Spirit thing, and man, I don't even know what that means. Okay, when you begin to share the gospel with other people, and you've come to those points where you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do, I promise you, if you're active in doing that, all of a sudden, things will start being laid on your heart. Things will start coming to mind about what you should say. That's part of the way that the Spirit talks to you. How about this? I'll give you a negative example. It's happened in my life before. Sometimes I'm in a place and I feel like I should say something or I should do something, and then I don't. And then I go home and I can't sleep very well that night because I should have said something, I should have done something. And then I get up the next day and I can't think about anything other than the fact that that was the Spirit speaking to me, and I chose to ignore it that point in time. You begin to pick these things up when you start to do it. When you start to live this out, when you give your all to God, when you go to share the gospel, the Spirit will always pursuing comfort or I don't want to be embarrassed. It doesn't happen until you actually do this. And if we're always pursuing comfort or I don't want to be embarrassed or, oh, my gosh, what are they going to think about that, then we're never going to miss that. Let me, let me give you an, an illustration, okay? I got to go on a trip this week. Julie's, um, Julie's my wife, is a tax preparer. And so tax season is actually over October 15th, if those of you who, who aren't aware, amen, Christy, Christine's also one. 
And so we have this blessed little six weeks from about October 15th until, you know, January or I guess eight or ten weeks until January rolls around then it all starts over again. So about this time of year we try to get away each year. So this week, this week we actually went out to the mountains because Jesus lives in the mountains. He's not at the beach. He's in the mountains. I'm just kidding. So we went out that way. And on the way back we stopped at Palo Duro Canyon. And in Palo Duro Canyon, uh, let me show you this picture. I took one of these pictures. So here's a picture I got to take at Paladura Canyon. Ooh, ah, it's pretty. But I climbed a long way to take that picture. So here's what I want to tell you. You don't get to see that until you make that climb. It doesn't look like that from the bottom of the canyon. It only looks like that at the top. And so if we're just okay with comfortable, can I just tell you something? There were times that I'm going, why in the world? Am I doing, if I fall, right, oh my goodness, there are plenty of those thoughts that went through. If I hope this rock holds, and, but you get up there, camera on my back, and you look out and you just kind of go, oh, now that's a different perspective. But you don't get there staying comfortable at the bottom of the canyon. You only get there climbing the rock. And so you're going to experience this joy in your faith by actually living it out. By actually sharing it with other people, not just standing comfortably on your own. That's where you need to go. That view only happens from the top. So obey the Spirit of God as he leads you to move. And now the next thing that Paul did, it's really pretty simple, but I think it's worth being said. Always do what is right. Always do what is right. You got that written down? I want to give you a chance to write that down before I go ahead and finish the rest of the sentence. You ready? Always do what is right, even when you don't want to, and even when the other person won't or didn't. Sorry. But that's how you get the fullness. That's how you experience the joy. You see, too many times we start looking at what other people are doing. happens and they're both bad. Either you look at them and you think highly of yourself because of how poorly you think they are which is an inflated, self-egotistical view of how you view things. And it's wrong because you have no idea what their story is and what they're doing or what they're going through. Or you look at that other person and it just makes you feel small because you go, I could never be what, what they're doing. Here's what you do. Always do the right thing. It doesn't matter what the other people do. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Because when you always do the right thing, then you will have the joy that comes from knowing that you've obeyed and you follow God and it really doesn't matter what other people around you are doing. Listen to me. Other people's behavior does not dictate how we get to follow God. God dictates how we follow God. His spirit dictates how we follow him. We don't get to say when I'm around people who are acting godly and godlike, I will follow God. And when I get around these people and they're not acting godly, that gives me permission to not act godly. No, that's, that's wrong. Paul didn't live that way. Paul always did the right thing no matter what other people did. And what we've seen from his story over and over is that he would go into places and there were people who would come to know Jesus and start to follow God. But at the same time, there were people who began to hate Paul and began to plot on his life. And not one time did it change Paul from doing the wrong thing. Change Paul to do the wrong thing. He continued to do what was right no matter what other people did. You want to experience joy in your faith. Stop looking at anybody else but you. Just do the right thing. Let other people take care of themselves. Let God take care of them. If God was big enough to take care of you and change your heart, 
Is he not big enough to get theirs as well? Do the right thing. Always. Doesn't matter what the other person does. That's what Paul did as well. And the last thing about how to follow Jesus like Paul did is this. Protect the church. Protect the church. This is what Paul was doing before he left. He was gathering the elders of the church together. And he's basically saying this. I'm about to leave. And I know right now that I've been the person who's invested into you. And we've kind of all started. And we've all been able to be on the same page because you've all started with me. But now I'm about to leave. And anytime a leader leaves, it causes trouble. Because what happens is other people rise up to try to lead. And sometimes it's leaders that God has risen up. And sometimes it's people who just see a void of leadership and go, hey, I can do that. And Paul's saying, you've got to be able to understand the difference. He says, be on the guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own number, and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. These are people who change the gospel to fit their agenda and then get people to follow their gospel as opposed to giving themselves fully to the gospel and following the Lord. That's what Paul's warning them about. And I love the way that he starts it. Be on your guard for yourselves. Be sure that God doesn't do this. Be sure that you don't do this against God first. Be sure that you're not one of the people who says, I'm going to distort this gospel to fit my agenda and then ask people to validate that by posting a post on Facebook and getting 17 likes and going, I'm right. That's not how this works. So just because, let me just kind of put it down this way, just because someone's attending church doesn't mean they're right. Let me go even further. Just because someone's the pastor doesn't mean he's right. I'm not right all the time. Because sometimes my own flesh and blood gets in the way and stuff like that, but we need to constantly submit ourselves to God, and we need to constantly put ourselves in a position where we're pursuing nothing but God, and we give him our whole selves, not our agenda, not our thoughts, not our ways, not our desires, all God's way. And that's the example we see from Paul. You see, when you run into those people who are distorting the word of God to fit their agenda, just go back to point one and start all over again. Just hold nothing back and get going. So can I, can I sum it all up this way, kind of put a bow on it for us this morning? Let me, let me remind you that what I'm talking about this morning, I'm not trying to give you a list, nor am I trying to point you out for anything. Here's my concern. Do you have joy in your heart? Do you have joy in your heart in following God? If not, you may want to look at these things and go, is, is one of these stealing my joy? Is there something that I'm doing that's causing me to not be able to follow God in such a way that, that brings joy in my heart? And then let me kind of put this as a summary statement on the end. And just remember, none of this matters unless I love my neighbor. <laughs> none of it matters unless I love my neighbor. I mean, absolutely none of this matters unless I love. I, I, this is not a formula for how to be successful in your Christian life. That's not what we're talking about. I want you to have joy. I want you to be able to follow God like Paul followed God, who's able to say, the Spirit's prompting me to go here. I don't know what it's going to bring other than it might be difficult, but I know that it's worth it to follow it. And I'm excited about going. So quit crying. All right, we'll all hug and get around, but let's go. I'm, I'm out. I'm going. That's the kind of life we look at when we're following Paul. But none of it matters unless I love my neighbor. And that's what motivated Paul. When you read this passage, 
After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. Does that not just drip with love for one another for you? Does that not just remind you that the whole motivation for this was all about love? And when you boil it all down and you come back to, to what do you mean this love, you know, when Jesus was asked about all these commands and all the things that we do and all it means to follow you, he boiled it down and even prioritized it for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hold nothing back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you do those things and everything else will start falling into line. You do that and it will all fall in line. It, it, I love the fact that not only did he tell us what was most important, he prioritized it. Because here's the truth. You cannot fully love others if you don't fully love God. It's just impossible. If, if you don't fully love God, if you only partially follow God and pick and choose, then the way that you're going to choose to love others is going to look the same way. Ooh, I love this person. Oh, I don't love that person. It's just, it's, it's, it works that way. So to be able to fully love others, you've got to fully love God. But let me give you another secret. To fully love yourself, you've got to love God. You've got to know him. You've got to not just believe in him, but you have to follow him. You have to actually do what this says. Because it's the invitation of Jesus has never changed. It's not believe in me. It's follow me. So who do you follow today? 